0: Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So, do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash strange. netsuite.com slash strange. netsuite.com slash strange. Hey, strangers. In our year and a half of production, we've never missed an episode and we don't want to break that streak. It would perhaps bring us bad luck, or maybe some kind of mysterious rash. We're not very up on curses, and would prefer to keep that knowledge to a minimum. However, due to our extreme, and we mean that in an early 2000s, X Games kind of way, travel schedules this month, we were unable to get a brand new episode ready this week. But worry not. We are releasing one of our earliest premium episodes for you on the main feed, remastered and cleaned up quite nicely, so our patrons will also enjoy a new listening experience. We also have a brand spanking new premium episode coming in just a few days' time, and it's going to be a fascinating one. And by that, we mean that it's about a giant shark. On the next episode to hit our main feed, we promise you a super-sized cryptid story featuring one of our very favorite mysteries, one that, uh, yours truly actually remembers from her early childhood in South Carolina. It involves lizard people, or, more specifically, lizard person. Anyway, we can't wait to bring that story to you. So, as we say in the South, y'all come back round soon. Now, we hope you enjoy this spooky tale from, yes, Florida, where everything does, indeed, occur. I'm Laura Norton, and this is One Strange Thing, the show where we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. We begin today's episode with just a little history. And like pretty much everything else that makes its way into the school books, it turns out the truth is much uglier than what we were taught. There are many beautiful homes along Florida's coast. Some of the world's richest people live in Naples or along the Florida Keys. Where did all that wealth come from? It depends. Certainly, there are success stories, the ones about hard scrapple businessmen who came up from nothing. But, as Henri de Balzac once wrote, behind every great fortune lies a great crime. For some of Florida's earliest and wealthiest landowners, that rings very true. Slavery, land theft, robbery, piracy, These foundations built the Manses along America's southernmost coastlines. This episode, we're interested in pirates, and one in particular. A mid-19th century outlaw who made his fortune on the coast of the Florida Keys. Though, to be fair, Captain John H. Geiger might actually have quibbled with the term pirate. He himself would never have used it. In history books, he's more politely called a master wrecker. That term might not mean anything to you, and that's fine, because it tells us almost nothing about what Geiger actually did. In theory, wrecking was a legal industry with rules of conduct. In practice, it was closer to winner-take-all. You see, a wrecker's job was to sort through broken and half-sunken ships along coral reefs or ones that had been slammed into shoals by the Gulf Stream. Shipping was big business, so there were always a few wayward boats ripe for the plundering. And Captain John Geiger built his fortune one soggy bounty at a time, answering the call of Wreck Ashore time and time again. He was soon swimming in money. According to Sunshine Magazine, there were even rumors that he buried some of it up on a hill near the spot where he would one day build his home. And that home was grand. According to its official website, Geiger spared nothing in its construction. It was built by the best craftsmen of the finest materials and set at an angle so that whether coming or going, sea travelers would see the Geiger mansion. He filled his home with finery, the best of the best for the Geiger family. And he also purchased people. Enslaved men and women did all the work in the mansion, and they also traveled out to shipwrecks with Geiger's crew. That was dangerous, sometimes deadly labor. Men would risk their lives for that bounty, and unlike other crew members, the enslaved men would not see a cut of any prize but Geiger kept his cuts and his fortune grew. According to its own official website, the mansion would stay in the Geiger family for generations, over a hundred years in fact. And then in true Southern Gothic tradition, the last of the Geiger line, William Bradford Smith, he was an unmarried recluse. Like his great-great-grandfather, he maneuvered the Gulf Stream as a harbor pilot Unlike his great-great-grandfather, William Bradford Smith lived as a shut-in in in the mansion for decades, without running water or plumbing. The Miami Herald reported that when townsfolk came by and tried to have that plumbing installed, William Bradford Smith drove them off with a shotgun. Eventually, that mansion fell into disrepair. It's boarded-up windows facing a street. Modern Key West had sprung up and in the process, blocked that perfect ocean view. Soon after the recluse, William Bradford Smith died in 1956, the once fine house was set to be demolished and a gas station was slated for its place. Per the official website, a local couple, the Wolfsons, who were among the wealthiest residents of Key West, purchased the home in 1958. They decided to turn it into a museum and named it after the naturalist painter, James Audubon. Audubon had never actually been to the Geiger home. It was built after he visited Key West and painted its many beautiful birds. But he had stood on that very land, and he'd been taken with it, and especially with the beautiful birds that populated its flora. So, the Wolfsons restored the home and filled it with Audubon's work and with the Geiger's furniture, and then opened it to the public. The house could be visited or booked for weddings, and it became a point of pride in Key West's tourist pamphlets, still standing after hurricanes that so often swept through from the coast. Even Geiger's descendants came to the house and, occasionally, donated items of historic significance for display. Per the Miami Herald, one such item came from a many times great granddaughter of Captain Geiger. It was a one of a kind baby doll. The Herald described the doll as in the Bylow baby style, modeled after infants rather than little girls, as Victorian dolls had been. This particular doll, as was common in the 1920s, had reportedly been modeled after a real newborn, and according to the Herald. Its maker had gone to the hospital to find the perfect baby to capture in wax. And apparently, this was a job well done. According to the news press, when the artist was done, one couldn't tell the doll from the actual baby. Laid side by side, they were alleged to be twins. Sunshine Magazine published a long form piece on the Audubon house in 1997, and their description of the doll is quite different. According to their reporter, Matt Shore, the doll was actually made in the 1850s in England and was a style called the Mrs. Peck. Quote, about 22 inches high with a wax head, arms and legs, and a cloth torso, and an odd, sickly appearance. We've seen the doll described both ways in dozens of articles and blogs. We'll leave the judgment up to our listeners, whether it's Bilo Baby or Mrs. Peck but we'll offer this. We haven't seen many newborns with full heads of bristling blonde hair and shining teeth. Combined with a formal nightgown, the whole look doesn't exactly scream infancy. Whichever version is correct, staff at the museum agreed on one thing. This doll was unsettling. Per the Miami Herald, an administrator described it as having, quote, a totally white complexion, a sneer, and a tooth sticking out. Tom Greenwood, the manager of the museum gift shop, agreed. He told Sunshine Magazine, quote, it had the pallor of a cadaver. It had dark circles under the eyes and it had little yellow teeth. We've often heard how creepy that doll was. We don't know why Geiger's descendant wanted to donate her Bilo baby slash Mrs. Peck doll. Perhaps she felt that she'd grown too old for dolls. Perhaps there were other reasons. Either way, the doll came to the Audubon Museum in the 1980s. Per the Herald, it was duly placed in a protective plexiglass display. It sat on the third floor in a baby carriage among all the other detritus collected by Geiger and his descendants. Visitors could shuffle through the house and marvel at all the treasures a wealthy man could collect when he didn't care about human rights or any rules really. And Florida's Autobahn house would have been just that, a museum of relics, of people and institutions long gone, except for one strange thing. Looking for creepy stories? Then we might have a podcast for you. And now, presenting Rattled and Shook. Rattled and Shook is a weekly podcast that features new scary stories every episode. Kind of like this. I would hear her say things to me inside my head. I couldn't get around him. I was trapped. The other guy started to get pretty agitated. He grabbed my grandfather's oxygen hose and he cut off his oxygen. Then I started thinking, well, you know, who would be hanging around in this nowhere forest, in this nowhere area? And that's when I started looking more closely. And that's when I noticed there were several shapes and they were slowly working their way toward me as they were moving from tree to tree. New episodes of Rattled and Shook are out every Thursday. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It seems that the doll's addition to the collection garnered quite the reaction. Not from the viewing public, but perhaps, if you'll humor us, from the museum's less corporeal residents. Like many other historical homes, the Audubon House is said to be absolutely teeming with ghosts. Practically overflowing, if local stories are true. According to its official website, it is a hard-carrying haunted house certified by, quote, numerous paranormal societies. And who's haunting the Audubon's halls? It depends on who you ask. Sunshine Magazine reports that visitors have claimed to see Captain Geiger himself gazing into his telescope and out over the sea. Or maybe it's the ghost of William Bradford Smith, his shut-in heir who failed to continue the family line. Perhaps the guilt of that weighed on him. Perhaps it tied him to the house for all eternity. Others believe that some of Captain Geiger's 12 children still run the hallways. Per Sunshine Magazine, at least one young Geiger died in the children's wing after suffering a fall. That wing on the third floor seems to be a hub for paranormal activity. Some museum staff have told Sunshine Magazine that they've run into multiple ghosts. A woman in a ball gown on the stairs might be Captain Geiger's wife, Lucretia. The lonely bachelor William Bradford Smith, who staff call Willie, he apparently announces his presence with a sudden, distinct odor of urine. Employee Teresa Ashley told Matt Schur, quote, I came in early one day and noticed a strong urine smell. I said, oh, Willie, get back on the second floor where you belong. The smell just went away. If there is a spiritual presence somewhere in that mansion, it might not be a member of the Geiger family at all. A local paranormal blog relays the rumor that Audubon himself walks the grounds where he shot down birds and used their corpses for his paintings and his lithographs. Certainly, his delicate artistic renderings are slightly less enjoyable when you imagine the kind of ghastly puppetry that went on behind them. It's odd, though. Between the official website, the blogs, the newspapers... No one ever mentions the enslaved people who were forced to live on the property, to work for the Geiger family, to live and die without autonomy, whose spirits of all the residents might rest the least in peace. Whatever the presence was, if there was a presence at all, the third floor seemed to be the place where it was felt most keenly. And if you'll remember, that's just where the doll was placed in the children's wing, in the room that had been a nursery, and, per the Herald, had also been a ward for people struck with yellow fever. Local tour guide David Sloan told Sunshine Magazine, quote, I always feel the toys are getting ready to move in that room. A lot of it has to do with the way the toys are laid out, like children just left to go outside. We have to admit, it was the perfect home for a terrible doll. The news press reported that the doll had frightened pretty much everyone since its arrival at the Audubon house. Staff complained that it stared at them. Visitors complained that they felt chills in its presence. Its eyes followed them about the room. According to the Miami Herald, at night, the museum's alarm system, which registered heat signals, would be tripped over and over in that third floor room, but no intruders were ever found. That said, people out on the street would occasionally call police to report that they saw figures moving behind those third floor windows when the museum should have been dead empty. The staff of the museum tried their best to just avoid the doll, but it still drummed up occasional outside interest. The Miami Herald reported that the Discovery Channel had once come to take still photographs of the doll for a television special but that the crew had been warned. The doll did not like having its picture taken. Upon hearing that, the photographer had laughed and quote, the back of his camera popped off. His film was ruined. Other visitors reported an overwhelming urge to leave the room, to get away from the doll as soon as they could. Apparently though, another visitor had a very different reaction. On Monday, January 6th, 1997, someone stole the haunted doll from the Autobahn Museum. To do so, they would have had to have wriggled underneath the plexiglass or climb over it. Though the display was open at the top and the bottom, it wouldn't have been easy. Maybe someone had come in the night, but when someone had actually entered, the museum couldn't be sure. The museum's alarm system, the excitable sensor, it had been disabled for a few hours. It was to be replaced. So, for some period of time, that room on the third floor was unguarded. The Miami Herald estimates it was for one night. Sunshine Magazine reports that it was only for a few hours. Either way, a successful heist was pulled off. Nothing else in the museum was stolen and the doors were still locked when the staff arrived the following Tuesday morning, only to find an empty wicker carriage on the third floor. The news press valued the doll at about $1,000. And as a staff member told the Miami Herald, it wasn't the most valuable piece in the house, not by a long shot. It was an odd thing to steal if someone wanted money. Maybe something a teenager would steal on a dare, or something that would appeal to a lover of the occult and the macabre. Certainly, no one would want a doll like that for its charm. Whoever took it is in for a lot of trouble, she said. In another interview with the news press, the same administrator offered her own theory. Maybe it just got up and walked away. In 2020, there are plenty of Bilo babies for sale on eBay. Some have cracked porcelain faces, others, the older ones, are wax, with features smearing into something closer to grimaces or screams. The Mrs. Peck dolls are much rarer. We couldn't find a single creepy specimen for sale. Those bilo babies remain popular though. With regularity, they're described as haunted or cursed, though terms of service require that sellers promise that they mean those words only as entertainment. Apparently, there's a healthy market out there for ghastly dolls and the ghosts that might come with them. Is that where the Autobahn House doll went? To carry its aura to another home where it had been invited? No one at the Autobahn House can or will say for sure. But, of course, there is another option. Blogger Jacob Floyd, who covered the Audubon House doll on his site, Jacob Floyd's Ghost and Monsters, offered up a very interesting theory. He wrote, quote, did Mrs. Peck leave on her own, or did the owners just want the doll out of there because of how it made people feel? As Floyd points out, the Audubon house's money is made on museum tours and its lovely gift shop and all the weddings held on its pristine grounds. A snaggle-toothed, pasty, staring doll doesn't exactly enhance the atmosphere. Especially if it's, well, haunted. Maybe someone took the opportunity to find it a new home while the security system was out of operation. We certainly wouldn't blame them. But if someone out there really did steal the doll, well, the staff of the Audubon House expects that they're in for some real fun. The Audubon House gift store manager, Tom Greenwood, told the Associated Press, quote, "'Whoever took that doll also took the legacy and creepiness it represented. I wonder if whoever has that doll gets the whole package.'" And to Sunshine Magazine, quote, "'That doll was morbid. It was beyond morbid. It was sinister.'" And it's worth noting, listeners, that the week after the theft, for the first time in a long time, the museum was quiet. Maybe that third-floor alarm system hadn't been the problem after all. Join us next time for another real-life story from the fine print of America's local papers from the lives of regular people, just like you and me, except for one strange thing.